Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here in our text this morning, we hear the early church described as the way. I really like that word, the way. Jesus taught that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And his disciples throughout his ministry followed him on the way. I've heard it described that the the church was not just a group of religious people, but rather a group of people who embraced the gospel as their lifestyle, a whole new way of life. Which made me wonder, what would our world look like, our community look like, if we embraced the gospel as our lifestyle? And then we have this picture of Saul. This murderous Saul. We see him first in Acts chapter 7 where he was a young man at the stoning of Stephen. And in Acts chapter 8, it it indicates that that Saul not only accepted and embraced this execution, but, but was a great persecution himself against the church in Jerusalem. It's described, Paul is described as ravaging the church with his entering into house after house, pulling pulling Christians out and imprisoning them. For me, it it, it brings to mind this picture of Nazi Germany pulling out house-to-house Jews. See, this was an attempt on Paul's part to purge Christianity. And Saul is reintroduced in our text this morning as breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus. Saul takes this initiative. He goes to the high priest to seek approval for this blanket, this blanket ability to arrest any Christians that he sees. See, followers of Jesus were expanding further and further out of the city of Jerusalem, and so Saul was taking his show on the road and expands his scope to Damascus. I envision the evil in Saul's heart growing with each step that he takes closer and closer to the city. But then, in the perfect moment, God intervenes. You know, and the people following in the way in Damascus have no idea what future they would have been exposed to without this interference of Jesus. And that made me wonder, how many times has God interfered in someone else's life in a way that blessed us by evil not happening. We sometimes focus on the evil things that do happen to us without pausing to reflect on how many things has God stopped from happening in our lives. Now, if the resurrection changes everything, there are some people for whom the resurrection has changed very little, which begs the question, what are the marks in the life of somebody who has been changed by the resurrection. And I believe in our text today, we have three very specific marks of somebody who has been changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first is pretty obvious. It changes the way that we see, the way that we perceive the world around us. Prior to this event, Saul was spiritually blind to the power of the resurrection, to the reality and the truth of who Jesus is. And then, his anger burning and clouding his view of Jesus, he is struck physically blind as well. 
Now Saul rises from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. I can't really imagine what it would be like to go from being a sighted person to being blind. But I imagine that, especially initially, it would be a very humbling experience. He needs to be led around. He's helpless to navigate without someone else's assistance. Now, I imagine that a blind person who's in a familiar environment can manage fairly well on their own. They know how many steps from one room to the next. They know the location of every piece of furniture. But when you have somebody know who is now recently blind in an unfamiliar city, in an unfamiliar environment, Paul is totally unequipped to manage on his own. His eyes are about to be opened, both literally and figuratively, to the knowledge of the truth. Later, in chapter 26, Paul gives us a a more detailed account of his experience on the road to Damascus. God says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Then there's this strange phrase that Jesus says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. More on that in a second. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then Jesus goes into a much more detailed account of what Saul's ministry will look like. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I love these additional details. But what in the world does it mean to kick against the goads? Well, Chuck Swindoll says this, apparently to kick against the goads was a common experience found in both Greek and Latin literature. It's a rural image. a a practice of farmers goading their oxen into the fields. Now, though unfamiliar to most of us, probably, everyone in that day understood the meaning. Goads were long, slender rods that were blunt on one end and pointed on the other, sometimes even with a metal barber spear. And farmers would use this pointed edge to urge a stubborn oxen into motion. Now, occasionally, the oxen would kick against that spear and, and, and puncture itself, and so by doing so and resisting, it would just cause further harm and pain. Saul's conversion could appear to us as having been a sudden encounter with Christ, but based on Jesus' expression with regarding his kicking back, it could almost be as if Jesus has been working on Saul for years, prodding and goading him. And then in verse 18, it says, And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. This verse has always creeped me out just a little bit. The the scales falling from his eyes. I, I tried one time to put contacts in, and I could get them in just fine, but getting them out was something entirely different. And so, glasses it is for me. But something like scales fall from his eyes. This is a a symbolic image of of Paul now becoming reborn, transformed, seeing the world from a new perspective. And he's baptized and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he sees the world differently from now on. 
That really is the, the true understanding of, of, of knowing something. That once you truly know something, it changes the way that you perceive everything else. Knowing Jesus changes the way we see the world, just like scales falling from Saul's eyes. So we are not to see things from an earthly perspective. What is it that we have in our lives that blind us to see the truth of how the resurrection impacts our lives? See, when Jesus opens our eyes to the truth of the resurrection, it changes everything, and we are called to a life that sees and understands the new purpose that he has for each and every one of us, to see and understand, to have the ability to enter into a complex situation and know what's right to do, wisdom from God, to see and understand that even in suffering, God is at work, working things to our good. And if seeing is the first mark of somebody whose life has been changed by the resurrection, then I think being able to suffer well is another mark of someone whose life has been changed by the resurrection. God tells Ananias, for I will show him, Saul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now here's the irony, right? The, the man who is guilty of so much suffering on the, on the case of, of Christianity now is going to suffer himself because of Christianity. It makes us wonder, how much have we suffered for the name of Jesus? Now certainly the suffering that we encounter in the United States is far less than this. We don't really know true persecution. Maybe we whine a little bit about the shrinking Christian influence in our society today, how opposing ideologies are growing in their influence, but it's a far cry from the actual martyrdom that still occurs around the world today. And yet we do suffer physically and emotionally. Maybe you have lots of questions about what God is leading you through right now if you are in a season of suffering. Maybe you're even in a season of suffering that tempts you to say, is this really God's hand in all of this? And if so, it's important to hear this, that God is still in control. He is fully in control and has a plan. And that plan is amazingly good, even if it feels difficult and overwhelming right now. And his plan ultimately is to make everything right, undo every wrong, and literally blow us away with how amazing and perfect it will be. And focusing on that promise that is eternal puts in perspective the troubles that we face today. They go from confusing and overwhelming to what God in Scripture calls light and momentary. Sometimes it's easy to feel a bit like Saul, just sitting blind in the dark, overwhelmed, but waiting for God's will to be revealed. And in the meantime, praying for the wisdom and the strength and the courage to faithfully take the next step. And when we suffer in this way, the hope that we have will be visible to others and it will be a powerful witness to others of the true difference that the resurrection makes in your life. But we can also suffer spiritually. Our souls can definitely be impacted by the, the physical and emotional suffering that we face, but we can also face suffering because of our ministry. 
As you suffer in your own way for the ministry of God, your life has become so much more. God is pouring blessings into your life and breathing new life into you, making you a part of his mission. And in fact, sometimes it can seem that the more dynamic and impactful the ministry that you have is, the more and more suffering will be entailed. Because Satan, he loves to attack those who are living out actively the gospel in their lives. He loves to make them suffer. See, he doesn't need to worry about the bench warmers, those who are, who are just taking up space, not actively living out their faith. They're no threat to him. But those who are willing to allow God to transform them by the resurrection, resurrection and are now living, breathing incarnations of Christ in this world, he does his very best to slow down and discourage. And the resurrection changes how we suffer from misery and complaining to rejoicing and persevering. And as the way we suffer changes, we need to find our source of strength because this does not come from inside ourselves. And that gets us to the third mark of somebody who has been changed by the resurrection. The resurrection changes how we find strength. The Lord tells Ananias, go, along with startling news, that he is to encounter Saul, the mightiest persecutor of the church. But not only this, this, this public enemy number one, God says that Saul is a chosen instrument of mine. Now this, this word instrument is, is, is perhaps better uh, understood as a container or a vessel. And here in Acts chapter 9, Saul is to be a vessel to carry the name of the Lord God to the Gentiles, to the kings, to the people of Israel. And this is essential to understand, especially in the context of what Acts says as Paul becoming stronger and stronger. It's not that he is becoming stronger himself, but that more and more of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ is poured into that vessel, that chosen instrument. It is God in him that is making his presence stronger. The resurrection makes us instruments, vessels of God. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, with his power, with his understanding for the purpose that he has to work ministry in our lives. In verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He calls him brother his enemy, who has now been transformed, he calls brother. What an, what an amazing word that describes so much grace and forgiveness. Because Ananias knows and realizes that as he has been baptized and become a, a follower of Jesus and a child of God, a son of God, now Saul, who has been baptized, is an adopted son of God his brother. See, the resurrection makes us a forgiving family. And Saul, taking food, he was strengthened, and for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. There's a, there's a fair amount of learning that Saul is undergoing at this stage. 
I'm sure that prior to this moment, he only listened for enough key words to be able to understand and know who was a Christian so that he could imprison them. But now his ears are listening for what it means to be a Christian, to grow as one, to understand. Paul, or Saul is being fed both spiritually and physically. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. The Jews were amazed and confused at his transformation. And his story of transformation from the, the, the most vile enemy of Christ to who will become one of the greatest apostles is a great witness to the transformation of Jesus. I see that the strength of Saul was increasing and convincing enough to quickly change people's hearts. He was one of those people that, that, that the Christians just wanted to hate because of his past. But because of the words that were coming out of his mouth, they were compelled to love. He won them over when they could see that the Holy Spirit was clearly working through him. The resurrection is change. It changes everything. The center of what Paul had to learn is the center of what everyone has to learn in this journey of being a Christian, that it's not about me, that we are simply the instruments, the vessels for what God pours into us. There is one central fact for which every human being will sooner or later have to reckon with, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And if that is true, then everything needs to be rethought. And here we see in Paul's life a dramatic rethinking and recentering of how life takes place. Christ is the center of everything in our lives. To quote a pastor who lives in the haven, if the resurrection didn't happen, then nothing else matters. If the resurrection did happen, nothing else matters. Now may this peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.